2: Hello and welcome back to The Three Ravens Bestiary, a bonus series all about mythical monsters, legendary creatures, and things that go bump in the night. My name's Martin Vaux. I'm a writer, storyteller, and English romanticism obsessive, and I'm joined as ever by my partner in crime and all dark arts. Eleanor Conlon. Hello,
3: and I'm excited about this one because although I've heard of the Krampus, it's not really part of the English Yuletide tradition, so I'm eager
2: to learn more. Well, let's jump right in and ask a pretty broad question. Eleanor, what do you know about the Krampus? I
3: think he's quite similar to Black Peter. We talked about this a bit on a recent episode, but Black Peter was and still is in some places in Europe this nasty imp who accompanies St. Nicholas, and while St. Nicholas gives out presents, Peter and the Krampus punish naughty children for their bad behaviour.
2: And what do you think the Krampus looks like?
3: I think he's big and black and furry with horns and a very long tongue. Yes. And also kind of kind of a goat man with flaming red eyes.
2: Well, full credit to you. That's a pretty respectable overview because, yes, certainly since the 6th century in Central Europe, Krampus has been the companion of St Nicholas when he goes visiting families on December the 5th, aka St Nicholas Eve. And while St Nicholas historically gave out treats like oranges, walnuts, dried fruit and chocolate, Krampus was the dark side of the tradition.
3: It's so strange that we don't have him over here. And as far as I know, we never did.
2: No, and maybe the reason for this is that Krampus predates Christian traditions. It appears that as a figure of folklore, Krampus has been around a lot longer and is a kind of devilish creature of the woods and mountains that we would probably class as a demon in the traditional sense.
3: Well, that's very interesting and rather typical, we might say, what with local communities and cultures having their own folkloric figures, festivals and traditions over which Christianity overlaid itself in time yeah
2: it's very interesting isn't it because i mean you see it all over the world for example as a teenager i lived for about eight years in papua new guinea and when christianity reached papua new guinea more or less post-World War II. Even there, the missionaries drew connections between the local spiritual practices and Christian traditions. I
3: think this is such an interesting example. For example, the blood of Christ.
2: Yes, a perfect example. Because in parts of Papua New Guinea, cannibalism was a key part of atavistic spiritual practice. And the missionaries made the argument that Holy Communion, consuming the body and blood of Christ, was a reflection of traditional Papua New Guinean belief helping to convert much of the country to Christianity. It's
3: absolutely wild. Um, We've spoken about lots of examples of this in terms of saints with local and national heroes and folkloric characters integrated into Christianity by the early church.
2: Definitely. So while Krampus doesn't appear in the Bible or anything (laughs) he does hang out with Saint Nicholas who I mean, you can obviously hear it when said St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, right? So St. Nicholas, of course, mutated into Santa Claus and Father Christmas in most European countries. Big question is, why would a Christian saint hang out with a scary half-goat, half-man demon thingy? It
3: is a bit strange, isn't it? Because you would have thought that the Christian thing to do would be to cast a demon back down to hell or protect children from it. Mm. Yes. they're kind of hanging out like they're in a buddy cop movie. <laughs> it's like Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Only Danny Glover's St Nicholas and Krampus is Mel Gibson. Other examples are available.
2: <laughs> now, it may have been more likely than you realise because one of the leading theories about where the Krampus comes from is that he was once a he-goat or yule-goat who accompanied the Norse god Thor in ancient North European traditions.
0: Well, we
3: know Thor loved hanging out with goats, oh, yeah. don't we? And Tangreesnir famously drew his chariot and provide him with an endless supply of food. Yes. So he can slay the goats, but as long as he wraps the bones up in the skin, they'll they'll spring back to life and That's call right. the chariot the mm-hmm. next day. And then there's Hythrin, the holy goat of Valhalla, who very handily has udders that provide a constant source of need. And if
2: we take Thor as the basis here, there are some communities in which Santa Claus is a bit more Thor-like, with his sleigh drawn by goats instead of reindeer. (laughs) What? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Goat? Move over, Comet and Blitzen. Make way for Tooth Grinder and Thin Tooth. Thor's Yuletide Goats. Brilliant. (laughs) All of that said, some sources say that Krampus is the son of Hel, or Hela, the Norse god of the underworld, who ruled over Niflheim, the world of darkness. Not
3: a nice place.
2: No, it's filled with murderers, adulterers and perjurers, with the corpses of the damned tormented by creatures including venomous serpents and the vampiric dragon Nidhogg, who drinks their blood for all of eternity.
3: Merry Christmas, everyone!
2: (laughs) (laughs) But to be a bit more cheery, we do have plenty of evidence that the Yule Goat has roots in more positive ancient pagan festivals. For example, our first written sources mentioning the Krampus date from the 16th century, so the 1500s, while we have writings about the Yule Goat from way back in the 11th century. Okay,
3: so much older. Mm -hmm. But I'm guessing we have art of the Krampus before then. Yes, we do. But you say more positive, is the Yule goat still a kind of demonic or devilish character? No,
2: not at all. In fact, if we look to astrology, which of course was absolutely central to many forms of belief in early European cultures, and right up to the Enlightenment, frankly, Yule does mark the sun's annual re-entry into Capricorn on December 22nd. And if we dig into that a bit, the corn element in the Capricorn's name refers to the cornucopia or horn of plenty, with its promise of a bountiful harvest to come.
3: So wait, is Krampus's goatiness in part a reflection of the star sign Capricorn? Well, I
2: mean, we can't say for sure, but we do know that the Norse god Thor was honoured around this time and that the last sheaf of grain bundled in the harvest in Norse culture was said to contain the spirit of the harvest known as, amongst other things, The spirit of the Yule goat. Wow, that's so cool. Moreover, there is some evidence that in some Norse communities, people would make a straw figure of a Yule goat and then play pranks, including by hiding the corn dolly Yule goat in their neighbours' houses as a form of mischief.
3: Okay, I'm loving this. (laughs) And I'm also getting the sense that the goat was therefore a kind of figure of fun in general during the Norse Yuletide seasons of the past.
2: And it isn't just Norse belief. So the Proto Slavic god of fertility, Devak, was also represented by a white goat and celebrated at that same time of year at a festival called Kaliada. And in many of these traditions, including in Scandinavia, for example, people would wander about singing in a way similar to the good old-fashioned English wassail. And much like in old English tradition, people would sometimes wear costumes, including of the Yule Goat.
3: Man, Who knew Christmas used to be so goaty. Yeah, it's
2: pretty fun, isn't it? And
3: yet I'm presuming a lot of these traditions have died out in the same way carolers no longer wear bulls' heads and all that jazz in England. Well, they haven't
2: died out in all places, but they certainly have in most of them, even in many remote Alpine regions.
3: I suppose we have the civilising influence of Christianity to thank for that.
2: Well, in the case of Krampus specifically, which has spread to America, I think, but not to England, there was definitely a 19th century revival of interest in Krampus traditions. Although we also need to bear in mind that the church didn't actually ever managed to fully integrate or assimilate many elements of alpine folklore into christian practice really so krampus is hardly the only unusual pagan or heathen tradition knocking about in these areas well
3: that's pretty tantalizing excellent
2: well i'll tell you about some of them as well as some pretty interesting stuff about silver birch trees krampus's punishments and more right after
0: this
3: Okay, so a moment ago you said these areas, Mm. but which areas are we talking about? Where does Krampus stomp his cloven hooves? (laughs) You mentioned Alpine, so that's the Alps, isn't it? The mountain chain.
2: Yes, so we're primarily talking about parts of France, Switzerland, Monaco, Italy, Liechtenstein, Austria, Germany and Slovenia, along with parts of Western and Northern Croatia. Wow,
3: that's a huge area. Absolutely.
2: I mean, Krampus is a pretty big deal. He's very much an international demon. And
3: you tempted me there mentioning other heathen or traditional practices so what are we talking about
2: well similar to sarwain around september 8th at the feast of the nativity of mary it's customary for many of these communities to bring cattle down from their upland pastures for the winter for more on this check back to the super sarwain special we released on halloween but in bavaria women weave Fur wreaths decorated with paper roses and small mirrors to ward off demons during the downhill journey. That
3: only sounds sensible to me. A wise practice. <laughs> I clearly need more headdresses with mirrors on. Now
2: this is thought to be based around ancient end of summer festivals celebrating the Norse goddess who is associated with apples, youth and fertility.
3: Interesting. Apples and fertility, a bit of an Eve-type character, perhaps.
2: Well, similarly, at the end of December, leading up to January 6th, it's traditional for women to wear pretty funky masks and proceed through the streets as Perkten or Perkta, an entourage of the Norse goddess Freya or Frau Perkta.
3: Always good when the ladies get a in.
2: Well, the Perkta are really interesting. Women wear these brown wooden masks and sheepskins and kind of parade about, but they're sort of the light reflection of Krampus, traditionally appearing on the other side of midwinter, with their name coming from the old German word pirat, meaning brilliant or bright.
3: That's fascinating. And so if their name means brightness or brilliance, what about Krampus?
2: Well, his name means either claw or clawed one or possibly rotten or dead. So we might, maybe, therefore position Krampus as part of an ancient pagan rite where Krampus takes a role in the end-of-year traditions involving death, cleansing or punishment of bad deeds while the Pacta parade in the new year and are about carrying souls off to a bright hall or form of heaven.
3: Excellent, I'm loving this. Good. And I know we're here to talk about Krampus but Mm. you promised other surviving Alpine traditions. (laughs) Is there anything related to Easter or midsummer for example well
2: midsummer is midsummer that's like baked into the pie across most of Europe but in spring there's a festival of marking the end of winter in many of these regions known in some places as calendar marts and as for that A large straw or wooden effigy representing winter is burned, possibly along with surviving Yule goats and corn dolls and so on. And people go around and ring bells and sing to drive off evil spirits. They also sometimes crack whips to do the same. Then everybody gets together for a big dance and a party. Some
3: lovely ideas there. And you can see a lot of these traditions reflected in, say, Beltane celebrations and fires in the British Isles.
2: Precisely, yeah.
3: I still feel a bit confused about Krampus Mm. because to me it does still seem like he's a bit distinct from the Yule goat and similar. Certainly in appearance, he's this huge, black, shaggy beast. And with his horns, he basically seems to be a version of the devil. Yeah, it
2: definitely appears that way when you look at him. There's a kind of satiric, goat-legged, horned aspect to Krampus, which makes artistic renditions of him look just like the demonic seirs or seirim of Abrahamic tradition. And if you remember from our Demons episode, in early Jewish writing, seirim are said to be the lowest form of created life. Attempting to corrupt people, making them dance, drink, sin, and on really good days lose their mind. The
3: Krampus doesn't do those things, does he? No. He doesn't see much about liberation. No, quite
2: the opposite. If he ever was a CRM, then he's a reformed man goat, who's seen the error of his ways. <laughs> so much so, it's even said that he carries chains with him to symbolize the binding of the devil by the Christian church. Well, that's
3: very interesting. But when we think about Black Peter, as he used to be in the English tradition, pre the Reformation, so this is before Henry VIII's break with Rome in the 1530s and 40s, we know that a bit like Krampus, he was said to be an imp, and the tradition was that he would carry a bundle of black canes to beat naughty children – is there anything like that in the Krampus tradition? There
2: actually is. So Krampus used to carry, and in some places perhaps still does, a bundle of birch branches known as a root. So like linked to a rod, I suppose. But it's interesting to me that it's birch branches specifically. Yeah,
3: definitely. I mean, for more on the symbolism of silver birch, certainly in terms of pagan and Celtic tree lore, check out this month's Three Ravens newsletter, (laughs) because birch is the Celtic tree of the month, which lasts from the end of December into January.
2: Yes. So the birch is traditionally associated with the idea of purifying and cleansing. So brooms and besoms were traditionally made of birch. In previous times, people would sweep their homes out with a birch besom at New Year to cast out any residual evil from the previous year. And of course, birch is also brilliant for lighting fires. Its silver white bark symbolises purity. So yeah, there's quite a lot bundled up, so to speak, with birch as a sacred tree.
3: Well, it's the first tree in the Celtic tree calendar, isn't it? So it's pretty interesting that Krampus traditionally used
2: birch branches to Well... Is he like Black Peter? Does he hit children with sticks? I think traditionally, yes, but he may also have sort of swept the evil out of them using these birch branches. I mean, the action of sweeping isn't that far from beating, is it?
3: No, I mean, out, evil dust and grime. Leave my house. Yeah,
2: so (laughs) I wonder if part of what Krampus is doing, considering his appearance, is serving as a warning against evil and helping purify children as a sort of purgative spirit in a traditional sense. If
3: so, it's kind of a cute idea, this big scary goat demon thing who only really wants to help and (laughs) sweep children free of evil. I mean,
2: there's no doubt that he's meant to be scary and alarming, but another connection to Santa Claus is that Krampus traditionally also used to give out a lump of coal to naughty children, and that's obviously something loaded with meaning.
3: Yeah, I mean, firstly, coal makes a right old mess, so if it can symbolise corruption in some way, with the dust getting everywhere, but it also serves a practical use, helping to offer heat during the cold months. Oh, for sure. Plus, coal also serves as a little hint to say, hey kid, stop being a jerk or you know where you're going? <laughs> to hell, well there's plenty of coal and fire stoked up for the punishment of other jerks just like you, so mend your ways or else. <laughs>
2: well, exactly, yeah. And it's worth remembering that Krampus also certainly used to carry either a barrel or a sack on his back and he would capture children in this barrel or sack and capture carry them off as if they were being carried to hell goodness
3: can you imagine how scary that would be it's just awful a devilish goat beast rocks up to your house messes you up with birch branches gives you a lump of coal then shoves you in a barrel and runs about with you to warn you about being bad it would be
2: pretty traumatic
3: I so reckon. so traumatic There's years of therapy needed from that
2: wow and there is definitely other sinister stuff going on with krampus in that in some traditions it's said that he will actually just eat very naughty children. Which I
3: don't recommend because naughty children are quite bitter on the tongue.
2: (laughs) Plus, in some old art of the character, he's shown to be pursuing women, sometimes quite well buxom women so there's certainly a sinful side to the character as well oh
3: so he's a saucy chap as well and i would say a hypocrite so yes if he's meant to be beating out the naughtiness and he's, he's after himself
2: i know and in some paintings and so on he also has one cloven goat's hoof and one human foot making him even more of this half man half animal thing
3: that's so interesting and very strange because when it comes to the half human half animal we we obviously see a ton of that in folklore oh
2: definitely I mean mermaids are a classic example and I recently posted on our social media about the Nuklave this horrid half man half horse with no skin who rides out of the winter ocean to terrorise the Orkney Isles oh
3: nasty
2: then of course there's you know centaurs satyrs the sphinx many Egyptian gods harpies lamia they're so 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 many. And
3: as previously discussed, there are kind of two ways to read these human animal hybrids, aren't there? Yeah. Because on the one hand, in the case of something like a werewolf, there's the idea that the humanity of the person has been corrupted and that the animal half is dangerous and uncontrollable in some way.
2: Absolutely. So fawns, mermaids, a lot of those creatures are notably corrupted from the waist down, implying a sort of carnal danger. And
3: then there are lots of hybrids where the implication is that they're more than human, as if part divine, like they're too holy or powerful to take a purely human shape. And
2: that's certainly the implication in ancient ancient Egyptian mythology and maybe you could see angels in that sort of way but with Krampus it's hard to know what to think. Is he a good creature or an evil one? Is he blessed with his powers or is he corrupted by these animal qualities? Like if he's the son of the Norse god Hel or Hela he's presumably half divine but it all seems a bit murky.
3: He does hang out with a saint, so he has to be a goodie, doesn't
2: he? I suppose so, but in some traditions, he does also hang out in a pretty unsavoury gang. Wait, what? Krampus has more friends? Oh, yeah, old crampy Pants runs with a crew. They're known as the Shabmana and also the Rauhen. These words meaning the Shabbers or the rough ones. And these are kind of antlered wild man figures who look a bit like what we would recognise in England as members of of the wild hunt. So, creatures like Herne the Hunter or Old Crockern from Devon, we talked about a few yeah, of them. Yeah, we
3: see similar in the horned god Kenunas, and like you say, Odin's wild hunt of Norse mythology.
2: Yeah, exactly that kind of thing.
3: So, Krampus has his own kind of wild hunt. Well,
2: in certain places, exactly, yeah. And like the Perthen or Paktar who accompany Freya, um, people dress up as these creatures. In fact, in modern times, some towns and cities just bundle. All of these icons together into one massive parade with Krampus, the sharp manor and Rahan, and the perk then all appearing at once, sometimes in huge parades known as Krampuslauf and in some places the Krampus Runs. Krampus runs? Yeah, this is a very modern development. A bit like the Santa runs you see in England and other places where people all get together dressed up as elves or Santa and what have you and go on a big old foot race.
3: Why? Why, oh why, would you ruin a perfectly interesting folkloric creature by getting aerobic exercise involved? (laughs) What's
2: wrong with people? Well, it beats me. But in my mind, it represents a real shift in the whole concept of Krampus because in the deep past it appears that the Krampus was a creature of foreboding and fear with some spiritual or moral underpinning whereas now it seems he's just kind of a novelty in a lot of places, more associated with silliness than anything else. And
3: that's not to say that silliness doesn't have its oh, place. No. I mean, we're very silly people a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, for
2: sure. But you know me, I like the folkloric to be understood in a bit of a purist way because sometimes things are lost when the symbol and its meaning are completely detached.
3: I understand what you mean. And I
2: readily admit that, like, some old traditions are damaging. Like, we did away with Black Peter because, frankly, it's all a bit racist. And Obviously, we shouldn't be beating children with canes or birch branches or anything like that. No,
3: or kidnapping them and running about with them in barrels. <laughs> no,
2: quite. I really don't think children should be traumatised by Yuletide or Christmas traditions or anything, but I Think there's something quite magical about the idea of telling kids that a shadowy, dark, horned half-goat has been seen in the woods near your house and that legends say he comes every year to punish naughty children.
3: I mean, if I'd been told about that as a child, I think I would have been pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, don't get
2: me wrong. I mean, it is a bit scary, but so is a lot of folklore. And so while we don't have Krapus in England, I can see some of the charm, but I also feel a bit sad that... In the same way, Christmas time has become maybe a little bit too commercial and tacky for my taste a lot of the time. In many ways, sort of detached from the seasonal meanings we used to connect it to. And if it's going to be Krampus runs and all that, I don't know. I don't think we're necessarily missing out on that much, not having Krampus in England. Well,
3: I see what you mean. Although I do very much like the idea of people dressed up in wild pagan costumes just roaming the streets. Yeah, for sure. I think we could all do with a bit more of that. Yeah,
2: agreed. I mean, bring back the traditional wassail, I say. Ideally featuring a creepy-looking, mischievous yule goat.
3: Well, thanks, Martin. That was really interesting. And we hope everyone's enjoying our Three Ravens Advent episodes counting down to Christmas.
2: Yep, a new one every day. I don't know if it's the same for you, but I find a lot of my favourite podcasts release less over Christmas time, but not us. We're ramping up.
3: Well, it's nice to have something on while you're cooking or crafting or wrapping presents Mm. or driving to your great-aunt Margaret's house or what have you. Yeah,
2: exactly. And of course, we will be back with a mainline Three Ravens episode on Monday, where Eleanor will be taking us to Buckinghamshire, which I'm really excited about.
3: And as always, if you'd like loads of exclusive content, including our Snow Queens episode, which also came out today, only for our supporters on patreon as well as all of our episodes ad free please sign up for three dollars a month or six dollars a month at patreon.com forward slash three raven's podcast
2: right well we'll speak to you again soon and in the meantime while krampus has trudged off into the snow that way we'll go this way
3: and remember don't whistle till you're out of the woods god send every gentleman such hounds, such hulks, and such leman With a down, dairy, derry, dairy, down, down
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.